So we're killing some time. So Tim and I are just going to have a chat about specs on GT3s, which is... Am I, have you got one to sell me then? Tim, we've always got ones to sell you. <laughs> well, that might be the case. But you, you have actually specced brand new cars. So that's why it's probably quite a relevant one because yeah. I sell used ones. Sometimes people ask me on specs, but I mean, well, what, what motivates you on what you choose? I think it's a really, it's a really personal choice. Yeah. You know, you start off with colour. Yes. And yeah. then, you know, most of us will probably have two or three real favourite colours. Don't you think colour is the, the thing that people deliberate on the longest? Probably, because it's the thing you can change your mind over very easily. You keep looking yeah. at configurations and you look at on other pictures of cars for sale online of the Instagram. same colour, yeah. and you can change your mind really yeah. easily. Um, personally, I always like JT Metallic Silver. I like Motorsport White mm-hmm. um, because they are, if you like, pure Porsche Motorsport colours for me. Um, having said that, I've got a, a Sapphire Blue GT3, but I didn't spec that car. So. What, do you, what do you think about PTS then? Because we we had once the opportunity to spec a new car, which was our GT4, you know, the, the birch green one. And at the time, Porsche said to us, uh, what colour do you want? We chose, I think, white, actually, at the time. And then they emailed us and said, by the way, lads, if you can make your decision in a week, yeah. you can choose anything on the PTS list. Yeah. Which, interestingly, wasn't totally unlimited. I don't know if you've ever seen yeah. it. They give you like four pages of colours and yeah. then you have to obviously Google each one. And it was, you know, I think it's 2,800 quid for PTS. But it does narrow the market a little bit. But I think if you're specking your own car from new, yep. you're probably going to go for it in the sense of it's, it's an individualisation that makes your car really special to you. Yep. You know, there will Agreed. be lots of silver and white cars out there, but a PTS personal choice on a brand new car you're not thinking so much about resale you're no. thinking about what works for you yeah and it's i think you know 2800 quid it's at a price point that you know you can definitely option relative to the price yes. of a gt3 you'd exactly. go well yeah, yeah or even a, a a normal normal 4rs um, again goes back to what we were talking about before we started recording ourselves chatting about people more increasingly taking smaller steps to make their car a little bit different, like in California, you know, where the guys over there will be more than happy to go crazy on spec. Because yeah, it's I something th- to talk about. I mean, I, we were talking, I think individualization is the biggest buzzword sort of going. And mm. an actual fact, if you hear, it's not just Porsche, other mainstream car manufacturers are jumping on this individualization yeah, like program. And thing at McLaren. People go absolutely with their Because choices. people want to have their... You know, if they're buying a lovely car, it is absolutely their pride and joy. Mm. And they would like it to be slightly different to everyone else's and certainly personal to them. Yeah. And, you know, it used to be that's why you spec the seats that you had in the car or a, an Alcantara steering wheel or this or that or the other. It's just gone to a whole... Or stitching, you know. Yeah. People used to ch- choose their own stitching just so they could say, I've done, chosen that car myself, yeah. but PTS obviously is a relatively new thing mm. and it has a big impact because it's the whole car, isn't it? It's the most obvious thing. Yeah. The guys here always laugh at me because I, I love the cars from the like, 80s through into the early 90s that were the Special Wishes, Sondervange stuff, where yeah. you'd have a lime green car with yellow interior, red dials yeah. and 700 horsepower because the factory did a Special Wishes thing. Yeah. I just love those sorts of cars, and it, maybe it's because guys that are buying these cars remember those ones from the 
early 80s and 90s, went through the 90s and 2000s with silver, black mm. and you know, mainstream colours, as you say, and yeah. Porsche have then gone, actually, I can see there's a bit more of a, a demand yeah. for this, but... Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not good uh, cosmetically in the sense that I tend to always option things that I think are performance-driven uh, or will give me a driving experience that I want rather than cosmetic. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, yeah. So I tend to, to do, you know, I'd rather have ceramic brakes, if you like, than a, a PTS and some other... See, that's, that's a really interesting one because sometimes when we're selling the car as a used vehicle, yeah. you know, guys get really, really worried about ceramic brakes. And on the later stuff, like 901 GT3, it, I've, you know, count on one hand the amount of problems I've ever had with ceramics, they're fine. But obviously as you get older, it, you know, they, they're not quite as durable and they've got to be checked over. So it, it almost puts sometimes a bit of an element of doubt into people's minds. And Ollie and I always talk about this. If I was to order, I guess it's car dependent, because mm. if you were to order a GT4, would you have steels or ceramics? Well, the car's not very heavy anyway, and it's not going as fast as your GT3 would go, uh, and the steels are phenomenal, they're absolutely brilliant. In saying that, when we ran ours on PCCBs, you just never ever had any brake fade, but there's that tiny element of doubt sometimes that, oh, why don't I crack a disc? There are lots of different schools of thought. I mean, mm. I was out in the Middle East and went to a track day uh, at Yas Marina on the Grand Prix circuit, and there must have been 50 or 60 supercars there, because, yeah. In the Middle East, there isn't the investment market in supercars, so people use them, and yeah. they properly use them. Yeah. And they're not shy of spending money either. They'll <laughs> spend on anything. But virtually all the cars, apart from ones that only came on ceramics, most yeah. of them were all running on steels. Ah. Because they were, they considered it a very easy consumable item, well, a bit like a tyre. That's my argument, is that, you know, Cup cars, I know it's a little bit different. Cup cars run on steel brakes, mm. and I know they're a lot lighter, and you know it's, it's not quite apples for apples, but they're brilliant. And as you say, it, the cost to change over is what twenty five percent. Yeah, different you know, of the cost of a ceramic. Sorry, um, I guess it. You know, it is personal preference, but from resale, from a resale point of view, we do get the odd people just just hesitate a little bit, and maybe they they are reading too much online from you know, late 2000s where the discs mm. and weren't manufactured in quite the same way. But that's why people like Surface Transforms are just massively on the upward curve, aren't they? Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, that yeah. takes away any worry then because, mm. you know, I fitted Surface Transforms for my GT3, which is used as hard as any GT3 on the track. Yeah. And I know can vouch that, for that. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I know I can uh, resurface them up to three times. Mm. Uh, they'll yeah. still have good resale value at the end. Really good point. Um, yeah. And you know, and I can put my original ceramics back on for anybody wanting to buy the car in as close to original spec as yeah, possible. Yeah, gives them the best of both yeah. worlds sort of yeah. solution, doesn't it? But I'd it? rather have that option than go on steels because the performance is fantastic. Hmm. So, have you driven a 991 GT3 on steels? Yes. And yeah. you and I, I, it's not as good. There, yeah. it what is different about it? You don't have the bite. So the initial you, pedal the feel initial when you stamp on it is yeah. definitely not as good. You have got to press the brake hard. You feel, mm -hmm. you know, you feel like you're, in terms of mechanical hardship, it feels hard to it's do. You feels like you're really yeah, yeah. it's unsympathetic. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, the car will stop and you use them hard, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of heat and there is fade if you use them yeah. really hard. Um. 
because we clang because <laughs> we uh, we're in the engine room so stuff's happening in here <laughs> um but we obviously come at t uh, things from two uh two interesting but different angles in that i look at it from all you know most of the stuff i do is on the road whereas you're at mm. like the top you know percentile of track users and the one thing I always get when people call me up and go, oh, I've read that the ceramics are terrible when they're cold. And I'm like, come, come down and drive the car because I've, I, I think they're absolutely well, fine. You're not going to drive the car out of your door <laughs> up to 100 miles an hour <laughs> yes. to brake for the traffic lights, are yeah. you? You will put some heat in the brakes naturally just by driving. And when, when most of us drive on the road, we actually brake in a really linear way mm -hmm. in the sense that we put a little bit of pressure on the brake and allow the car to slow down gradually with that same pressure. Yeah. We don't do what we do on the track, which is where you put an increasing amount of brake pressure on very, you know, very quickly, yeah. and then release the brakes as you come to a stop. It's a yeah. completely different way of braking. It, it's a really cool uh, subject, because I, I mean, obviously, we, uh, I haven't done anywhere near as much track work as you, but we did a bit of driver tuition a few years ago, and they, the guy was teaching us, it was Colin at Cat Driver Training, was teaching us what you just said. And you kind of, I came away from that going, I've been braking wrong my entire life. You, 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 as you say, you do it totally mm. the other way around to what you think um, mm. you should be doing it. Um, well, yeah, so that's ceramics we've, we've discussed at length. I suppose also it does come down to whether you're doing, or do you think whether you're doing track work or not? Because if you, for example, ordered a 901 GT3 full comfort sports seats to use for touring, would it be worth the 5K? Honestly, no. Yeah. No, it really wouldn't. I yeah. mean, it, it, it's not worth the money. Mm. Unless that 5K to you is worth having to have yellow calipers and ceramic brakes so you know you've got it on your spec sheet. Which but performance-wise, on the road, no, but absolutely it goes, not. But that, that's the case in point, isn't it? Because... Uh, it, it would be an interesting uh, exercise to really extrapolate information from like the data on the car. How many of these cars get driven? Maybe like you or some of our other customers actually mm. drive them. I would probably guess five, maybe ten percent of these cars mm. get driven as Porsche engineers design. The rest of them, they're just it's because they want to tick I'll off. I'll give you an example. If I was going to buy myself, which I keep thinking about, Greg, um, <laughs> if I was going to buy Noted. myself a 991 GTS as a daily, yep. as a usable daily, I would be very happy with it on steels. It wouldn't bother me at all. Uh, and it's a good point because with the current cars with the three litre twin turbos, obviously they're so much torquier, um, you get all of the grunt between say two and four and a half. And mm. so realistically with the GT3, obviously we got, uh, they're quick anyway, but at the top of the rev range is where they give their performance. As a road car, it probably in some scenarios would actually be a little bit quicker. Mm. What are you trying relaxing. to sell me? Well, Tim, we've got a lovely 2017 <laughs> in GT Silver as you oh. sports seats, fully electric, heated. Um, but I, I, I say that to guys sometimes, yeah. but then they come in yeah, and go... Yeah, got cruise control, though. I've already looked that one up oh, online. I can fit that, my friend. Yeah. Porsche okay. Partner Network member. We can okay. fit them. Okay, good, good, good. Um, yeah, I'll take a look at that. But sometimes people have never had a GT3 and they just yeah. want to tick that off their yeah. list of cars owned. Yeah. And then they might come back and go... Do you know what? Actually, I'm not really doing track days. A yeah. GTS might be a, a better car for me. Um, but it is an interesting one because mm. a lot of people ask us when spec going back mm. to our original point of what they but choose. When, when you're selling cars, because obviously people come in with a spec in mind, they're buying yeah. their dream car, they go online, they're looking for their dream car, which if it's secondhand, they can't necessarily 
find the exact car. Yeah. So what are people sort of, re- what do they look for in spec when they're, buy- when they're buying a car? What, what particularly is people's wish list? Well, it is, uh, it is more, uh, model dependent. And if we're concentrating on this, just one car for a sec, so 991 GT3, let's, let's say a Gen 2, you know, mm. 2017 car onwards. When they first came out, it was obviously the first car, the uh, first GT3 of this era that Porsche reintroduced the manual box, and there was loads and loads of noise about it. Mm. What we found as, as time's gone on is, if there's a bit of a divide, if you are going to use a car on track, PDK, because mm. you can't miss a cog, the car is so fast to keep up with everything going on, and it's, you know, you've got to experience it. Some people, you, know, mm. you can watch a YouTube video, but like when we were at Spa last year, I've driven millions of them, but mm. to go out with you in the car, just recalibrates what that car can do, and so it's kind of a divide. If you're going to use a car on circuit, I would go PDK myself. If I was going to use it for mm. more of a, you know, you could use that car as a daily driver quite happily, uh, and touring. Yeah, I can see them see the manual. So there is a bit of a 50-50 yeah, I mean, on that it's one. An in, we could do a whole podcast just um, <laughs> manual against PDK. Yeah. Maybe we will. But mm. you're absolutely right. And you, you know, you're talking to a, an old school guy who is a dyed-in-the-wall manual driver. You know, I still like to heel and toe yep. uh, and drive. You know, what I feel is a greater interaction with the car, and yeah. I love it. I love the the timing of just the clutch and the throttle as you make a nice gear change. There's something mm. very satisfying about that. And obviously when Cayman GT4 came in with manual and everybody started raving about having manual gearboxes yeah. back in GT cars, mm. and, and journalists started saying, well, I'd forgotten what this sort of interaction was like and how wonderful it is. But I'm not sure that has transferred to the general buying public. No. Because PDK is so damn good. It mm. is so damn good. And I, and I have been converted a little bit, certainly for track use, as you said. Mm. I, you know, I wouldn't have... My first GT3, actually, 901 Gen 1, was a manual. And it no, was a, PDK is your second one. Second one, yes, sorry. Yeah, I've uh, yeah, <laughs> lost track of GT3s. So <laughs> it was the GT Silver one was a manual box. That's, That's it, yeah. Um, but, you know, that, uh, and that was a comfort spec car, mm. and I had it manual because I thought, I'm predominantly going to use this on the road. I want that GT3 uh, engagement, but mm. I want it as a comfortable car. Yeah. And actually, and, and I did, well, just over 8,000 miles before I traded it for my blue one, which mm. is a newer one, uh, in PDK, because on track, the PDK was so much better. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I do hear what you're saying. But it adds, I think that it actually bizarrely adds to the experience because mm. it, it as you know, all, there's a movement obviously with modern cars, so whether it's McLaren, Ferrari, etc., to have a PD or DCT, dual clutch, whatever, transmission. And uh, reality is, is if, if, if the average driver was punishing mm. it around a circuit, the fear of mm. missing a cog and blowing the, the engine, mm. There's no to hide ECU, mm. for those who don't understand, the, the car records how hard it's been revved, and if you miss a cog... Does it? <gasps> yes, Timothy. God, I'm in trouble. Yes, you're <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Um, is that it will, it will record it. So if you miss a cog, there's no to hide. Yeah. Porsche won't warrant that. Yeah, and absolutely. And obviously, the PDK helps it's out. It's impossible. Yeah, you cannot exactly. change down before the, the road speed has dropped off enough to accept the gear. It's, it's impossible. Yeah. So the, the first divide is that, is transmission. Yeah. And then the second divide is comfort versus club sport. Yeah. Um, without sitting on the fence, if it was me, if I was ordering a GT3, I'd have a clubby. Um, mm. I just think that's what, that's what that car's all about. Roll mm. cage, buckets, drama. You know, it's got a big wing on the back. Because yeah. we haven't spoken about touring, that's obviously another... Well, I was going to ask you yeah. there, so where does GT3 touring sit? 
They are what it says on the tin. You know, the, the couple that we've, you know, I'm not going to um, be the big dog and say we've supplied hundreds of them. They didn't make hundreds of them, you know, thousands right. of them, sorry, right. for the country. A few of them that we've been involved with, the guys are using them as road cars. And mm. they've actually got other cars, probably GT3s and club mm. sports, to do, uh, to do the track stuff in. So for me, I would go club sport. Mm. There is a, there, again, it, it's a pretty even divide. Some mm. guys are kind of like, I might do one maybe mm. two track days a year, but if my wife gets in a car with roll cage mm. and harnesses, she's going to look at me like I'm being mm. a try-hard. Mm. There's other people that go, well, look, my partner's never going to get in the car, mm. whatever. So why do mine. club sport cars tend to command a bit of a premium over comfort? Because usually they're slightly more rare. The actual number of people that chose them, because it was, I think it's about just under 3K option, um, there's slightly less of them, typically. Yeah. Um, and... It's the theatre, you know, yeah. getting inside a car with buckets and a cage. Yeah. It's not a racing car, but if you're 5 Series or you're X5 or you're Q7 or you're getting on yeah. the train every day to go yeah. into London, to then at the weekend getting something that's focused, Alcantara yeah. steering wheel, ugh, it just adds to it. Yeah. Um, We're but, sort of moving off topic, but another question I had is, mm. with regard to GT3s and resale and all the rest of it, is people, people are always worried that a GT3 has been thrashed within an inch of its life on track. Mm -hmm. But I always say to them, look, a, a GT3 engine is the, is the strongest engine that, that Porsche makes. Yeah. It is designed to do the job, and it is virtually unburstable. Mm. And if you look for a GT3 that has never seen the track, never been driven hard, you know, you, you're probably not going to find one. Well, again, a lot of guys come in and go, I, I don't want a GT3 that's been on a, on a track day. And, you know, you, we've known each other a little while now. I'm just straight as a die. I say to people, that is impossible, A, for me to promise yeah, you that, unless it's been my car and I've driven every mile. You can't, you can't know that. Because even a car that's done 800 miles could have done two track days. Yeah. And it could have had a, you know, tyres swapped over and it still looks perfect with PPF on it. As you say, the engines are nigh on indestructible. I mean, over the years that we've sold them, I'm a superstitious man, but we're sat in an engine room and I can count on one hand GT3 engines yeah. that have ever been in here and usually it's actually for mods yeah. rather than you know failures um, and but the other thing is with your Porsche partner network you can do your diagnostic you can see exactly how much time an engine has spent in what rev range yeah so you actually know how hard it's been driven well we can even go further than that now because um, some of the diagnostic equipment available to us can can measure cam deviation so stretch on the chains all that sort of stuff so even if someone was really sinister and deleted all that information, you know, it's 2020, computers yeah. are clever. You could delete, say, the overhead data. You, some mm. of the stuff that we have to, or we can record, lifetime data, which we do as part of our inspection, mm. you can't fudge that. So if the car's had a terrible life, mm. the ECU's super clean, and you look at the car and you kind of get that, you know what it's like, you sit in mm. a car and you get a bit of a gut feeling of how hard this thing's been driven. There's nowhere to hide, so you, you can extrapolate mm. enough data off the ECU to really work that out. But like I say to people, you know, it's, it's, it's not like you're coming in to buy a Range Rover from me and then asking me if it's been on a track day. That would be a bad thing. Mm. Or likewise, if you're buying a GT3 as a been off-road, that's a bad thing. But mm. as you said a couple of minutes back, it's what they built them for at the end of the day. So as long as it's maintained properly, it's, it's warmed up properly. And again, this era of GT3 that we're talking about, 2017 onwards, uh, and also the Mark 1, they've got the little blue engine light. Mm -hmm. So you know when the engine's warmed up and they've tried to make it as obvious as possible to mm -hmm. people. Um, you know, there's not really any excuses for not mm -hmm. maintaining. The only thing I would sort of caveat that with is I, I personally think that the cars should be serviced more regularly than 
the factory stipulation. I'm a big fan, we're both bikers, love bikes, change the oil as regularly as you possibly can. I, I just feel that a manufacturer should these days go, mm. thousand mile oil change, drop it out, let's put some fresh stuff in. Yeah. And a car like that, so you know, the, do it as the much only as thing you can. is, a GT3 is not a simple oil change. It's not, this is a very no. good point. You can't, it's not one you can do at no, home. No. You need a computer to set the oil level and you know, all those kind of bits. But it is a bit off topic, but you're right. Uh, is it a problem it's been on circuit? Within reason, no. Mm. Um, and as we say to people, you can have, on the old school days, mm. where you had like 996, 997 GT3s, if they've been owned by an ex-racing driver, mm. chances are, yeah, it's been driven fast, but it's been driven skillfully. Mm. So you could sell the car to a, a normal road person that never does any track days, goes up the road and misses a gear at 40 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour, whatever, mm. puts it accidentally into first rather than third. It doesn't matter if that's on a circuit or on mm. the A43. It's no mm. different, is it? As the country's leading independent Porsche specialist... Indeed, Timothy. Um, <laughs> um, do you find when people are buying GT model cars yeah. that they, and this is another individual sort of requirement, request, whatever. How important is a full manufacturer service history when it comes to that? Really good point, really good point. Um, it's, it's a tricky one because the, if, you, if you look at ignoring um, the sort of the label that's stamped in the book, if you think about the man or woman that's changing the oil or doing the service, in a ideal world, you want a person that has done that job umpteen million times, knows the foibles of the car without having to read a booklet, um, uses the correct oil or, or parts, uh, which obviously we all get from, mm. we get from Porsche and Mobil. So that's the first thing. Mm. So there's, a, there's a, a, an interesting topic there, which we've not got time to go through today, but how many cars of each type does a main dealer versus a specialist see? Yeah. Again, I would guess that we've probably seen 10 GT3s to their one GT3, but on the flip side, they've probably seen 100 992s to the mm. half a dozen I've had through so, so far. Yeah. So that's the first thing is, is it a car you're gonna keep forever? And in which case, the diligence and the maintenance of that car, it's, it's down to the specialist's specialism, mm. if, if that makes sense. Um, if it's about flipping it on, yeah, you've got that argument that if it doesn't have the Porsche stamps in the book, mm. it's harder to extend the warranty. Mm. It's not impossible because of block exemption that came out in 2001. Legally, we are allowed to service that car as long as we prove that it's with Porsche parts, mm. Porsche genuine parts. There's no reason against it. So um, it's the, the, the contentious point lies mm. where if you extend the warranty outside of the three-year manufacturer one, it's actually a different warranty. Mm. And if you read the fine print in there, it does say that you should have the service done at Porsche. I'd love to get a legal eagle to actually go through that and mm. give me a finite answer. Mm. We sell used Porsches at the end of the day. I'm not, I'm not a legal man. Um, but we give the information to people, eyes open. That's what, mm. that's what our understanding of it is. And an awful lot of guys go, well, I'm going to keep this car five, six, seven years. Mm. I want... Ricky, Dan, mm. you know, working on Danny, my car. I know the bloke that's serviced that car yeah. and I want to come back every year and go, remember last year we just checked that mm. little week, let's have another look at that this year. Mm. And that continuity is nigh on impossible because mm. dealer groups get bought and sold, mm. technicians move and you know, move around. So well, it'll so, go I mean, on and on this one. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, I mean, I, and there is a lot of self-interest in me asking that question <laughs> because obviously my GT3 has been looked after purely here 
Um, you know, it's had a fair bit of work done on it, whether mm. it's brakes, geo, top mounts, bushes, exhaust, yeah. you name it. Um, you know, is my manufacturer warranty still valid? Um, I, I personally would rather have the car looked after here where I know who's working on it, whether it's Dan or Ricky, as you say, or whoever, yeah. and, you know, know exactly what's happened to the car than it's only as good as the guy that's working on your car when it goes to OPC, never mind mm. the stamp in the book. And it might be but, that the guy at the OPC is absolutely brilliant, yeah. you know, to, to, in fairness to them, but they have very, they have very, um, sort of tight uh, targets to hit. Mm. And I'm not saying we don't have targets here, but Ollie's mantra, exactly, Ollie's yeah. mantra is do it once, do it properly. If it yeah. means if it goes over a little bit, that's fine, yeah. because we want to look after that car, yeah. perhaps for its entire life, yeah. which is pretty cool. But um, we, we probably should wrap this up, because we've, we've I don't got know how more. long podcasts are supposed <laughs> well, to last. I don't last. know either, mate. <laughs> Um, but we can we can bring this up yeah. again if anyone else listens to it apart from you and me. Um, All right, good chatting. I don't know how we turn it off. <laughs>